This is the Spirit Truth Podcast, conversations to equip worship teams and songwriters. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Spirit Truth uh, Podcast. My name is James, and when I was about 13 years old, I went to a Christian school. And at that Christian school, somebody found out that I'd been playing guitar for a couple of years. And they said, can you lead worship in our assembly? And that was the beginning for me of my journey with worship uh, and leading worship. It's about 21 years ago, 22 years ago. And over those 21, 22 years of being involved with worship music, I've met some really amazing people. And this podcast is just a platform for me to chat to those people, find out their experiences, and hopefully encourage you if you're involved with worship leading, or if you're involved with songwriting, uh, or if you lead a team, something like that. And today, I have the honor and the privilege uh, to be chatting to Neil Smith. Hi, Neil. Say hi. Hi, James. <laughs> Great start. <laughs> Neil is normally um, quite good at articulating himself. <laughs> what did you want to say? Hi, James. It's a pleasure to be there. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, Neil and I met probably, what, nine years ago? Must have been 2011. Yeah, yeah about right. eight, nine years eight. ago. Okay. Um, and he... We met when I first, just after I first took over um, the the worship team, overseeing the worship team here in Stellenbosch, and he played French horn. I didn't know what a French horn was at that moment, I must admit. I think I Googled it before I phoned you to find out if you want to join the oh, band. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, not many people know what it is. Yeah. I always has, I have to explain, it's a like a trumpet that looks like a snail. <laughs> That's a pretty accurate description. Yeah. Um, and then since then, involved with band for, for many years. And then kind of the last few, two or three years, Neil started getting in, more interested in music production and so on. And then uh, in 2017, 2018, he produced our Behold album, which was just an amazing experience. Um, I think what is the most amazing thing about that is that we we actually got on through the whole process. <laughs> we didn't we didn't fight about anything. We didn't disagree about anything except for the last the, day, the very last yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't say what we disagreed about, but anyway, <laughs> he got his way <laughs> as usual, as usual. But that was an amazing experience. And actually, for the last two weeks, this is the last day of uh, the two of us working um, pretty solidly on an EP that I'm busy with very excited for that to come out later in the year or, or beginning next year um so neil i have the the world of respect for you you just have the most incredible ear and ability to to make something beautiful out of uh the the, the instruments and the the gifts and the talents and the people around you um and so yeah maybe just quickly introduce yourself say what you're up to what your journey in, in worship has been yeah so i um Grew up with a, a passion for music, and uh, I went on to to specialize in classical music as a as a French horn player, um, and never really interested in playing or participating in worship music, <laughs> although going to church and and being there in the congregation. Um, but yeah, about five years ago. 
some people pressured me to join a band in church <laughs> at Shofar. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> so I joined as a horn player and it was just a complete new episode of my life that started there. Um, it just worked so well and I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, so from there I, I took it very seriously and I, I just knew that that's, that's the new direction for me to to put most of my attention to, mm. which I've been doing mostly these days. Awesome. Um, so today, um, I'm really amped to be speaking to Neil, as you, as, as you heard, he's, he's got a classical background, uh, which I don't think that many people in our worship teams have. Um, and in fact, that's kind of the, the whole context with which I want to approach today, is to be speaking about music and I guess a little bit about music theory, um, but with the idea that most of us, myself definitely included, uh, who are in worship teams, we we don't have a music background. We don't have music training. <laughs> Neil, I think I've told you the story. I, I blame um, an, an elderly lady, um, or not really, I blame all her dogs for the fact that I don't have a formal music background. Because when I was really young, probably like 10, 11, <clears throat> I, my mom signed me up for some piano lessons. And I was very excited. I'm going to play piano. I'm going to learn music theory. And then she signed me up with this elderly lady. And then I'd, I went there for about three months, but half the lesson, she would show me her pig in the backyard and we'd feed the pig and talk to the pig and pet the pig. And then for the rest of the lesson, we'd go inside and, and play the piano, but then share these two pugs that sat under the, under the chair and farted through the whole lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so I lasted for about three months and oh, then I goodness. gave up on, on formal music training. So everything I've kind of learned over the years um, has been just by observing and kind of hearing terms that I don't really understand. Uh, and then until I ask somebody like, what does that mean? And kind of concepts like time signatures and bars and beats and all of these things. And I think that's where a lot of people find themselves. Um, and so what I want, I want to maybe give a few scenarios today of things that I see often. We won't be able to cover everything. Um, but I guess my first question for you would be for somebody like myself out there who doesn't have a formal music training, how would you just start at the basics? Like what is the foundation of, of music? And how would you describe to somebody uh, yeah, what does music really consist of? Right, so uh, the two very basic elements of music um, is duration and pitch, to put it that way. Mm. So duration would refer to rhythm, uh, meter, which is time signatures, um, basically the lengths of notes, um, and even tempo. Where pitch um, refers to how high or low a note is. So, just to demonstrate, uh, pitch would be the difference between these two notes. The second one was higher than the first. But rhythm, I can play the same note in different patterns. Different notes with different lengths. So, that refers to duration okay cool so l let me maybe give you 
uh, as I said, I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios of things that I see that happen a lot in, in worship team, which might help to illustrate just some of the points that we want to want to get to. Obviously, with a podcast like this, there's no way we can cover everything. Uh, there's no way we can go too in-depth. Um, but what I'm trusting for today is as we speak about these things, maybe there's some a concept that comes up and you realize, I actually don't really understand that fully. Uh, hopefully, you'll you'll make a mental note to, to go after this um, and look for it online. There's, there's so many resources available. Uh, so, for instance, one scenario. Now, this happens a lot. You know, a guitarist, he's playing something like How Great Is Our God? And then uh, he's playing that last chorus. And then the next song coming up is um, Great Are You, Lord. You know, Great Are You, Lord. And then suddenly just something sounds really bad as he goes from one song to the other, uh, where just the rhythms aren't fitting in, the, 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 the lyrics aren't fitting with the way he's playing the guitar. And that happens a lot. What, what is happening there, Neil? <laughs> right. So um, the problem in this scenario will be the difference in time signatures. I think we just have to speak a bit about what is a time signature. Mm-hmm. Now, the best way to do that is to demonstrate it. So, James, you're going to have to um, take part now. Okay. Right. Uh, we'll just start with a very simple song that everybody learned as a child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right. Okay, that's good. Now we're going to clap along. Now, James, why why don't you clap along for me just on any sensible place you you think. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay, let's go. And Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Okay, that's great, right? Um, That's that's normal. Everybody knows how to do that. (laughs) We do that all the time with music. We just... Follow the beat, right? But um, now there's another level of of pulses where we could clap. Mm-hmm. You, you like to try it? So it, it will be maybe slower or maybe faster. Okay. You, you want to try that? Okay, here we go. And Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. All right, that's perfect. Nailed so. it again. <laughs> Who taught you this? Who's your teacher? <laughs> Usually it takes me hours to explain this. <laughs> right. Okay. So what we'll do now is I'll do the first pulse level and you do the second pulse level. Okay. Right, together. So here we go. And Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right. Now, if you listened closely, you would notice that um, my clap, for every one clap of mine, there would be two of James's. Mm-hmm. So I do. And here's this. Right. So let's just clap together again. And you know, there's a particular kind of feel that comes out when our claps correspond compared to when your clap is on its own. Okay, so let's do that again. Just clap. Right, okay. So when we're clapping together, that feels stronger. Yeah. But when James is clapping on his own in between, that's weaker. 
-hmm. Okay. Now that gives us the same sense of meter or uh, time signature. So what we have here is one strong beat followed by one weak beat. Bum, 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 bum. So that would be one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. It's really as simple as that. So in Western music, we have um, most often a, a constant meter that runs throughout the song. One, two, one, two, and it doesn't really change. It could change, but most of the time it doesn't. Okay. Most of the songs we sing and most of the songs you hear on the radio is in 4-4. Four, four. Uh, and basically what that means is there's one strong beat and three weaker ones. James, how about we, we do a 4-4? Four, four. So you just do the... Okay. okay. So here we go. And... Okay. Can you think of an example of a song in that tempo in 4-4? Four, four, upbeat song. Uh, happy day? Yeah. So, oh, happy day, happy day. You washed my sin away. Right, so that's yep. a typical 4-4. Four, four, and you'll have the kick drum going. Yeah. So, that's the time signature that most people know. They know how to feel it. They know how to dance to it. How great is our God is a good example of that. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. Two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Now you usually get this beat in the in the drums and in a chorus or so, you'll add a hi-hat that goes tick, 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 tick. So now you divide every beat even further in twos. You can even go So you can keep on dividing it in two. The difference uh, comes in with 6A time. Um, and that's where people tend to get confused because now you don't subdivide in two anymore, but you subdivide in three. Let's just take a simple song, uh, row, row, row your boat. Okay, so row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Okay, so at first it sounds pretty much similar as what we did before. We're just clapping on the beat. James, how about a different pulse level there? Okay, maybe something a bit faster. How might this fit into the song? Okay, okay here we go. Row, yo, row, 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 boat. <laughs> you almost got it there. <laughs> Is it that fast? Yeah, that's it. Row, 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 your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Right? So, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three. Okay, now in this case it's quite fast, but it can be quite slow as well. Like one, and two, and one, and two, and one, and two. You so. give life, you are Yep. Yep. And that is Great Are You Lord. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, that's basically what you have to understand is the subdivisions 
your 4-4 type signature will still have subdivisions of 2 and your 6-8 time signature basically has two, two beats, um, strong beats that are subdivided in 3. Now we sometimes count it in 6 where you go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 6. But the feel is usually in 2, 1 and uh, 2 and uh, 1 and uh, 2 and uh, Great. Right. So practical application, if you're playing any kind of rhythm instrument, or even if you're a vocalist, it's also important to understand the, the feel of a song. Uh, so basically, we need to learn to count. Uh, and I think it's important, just before, before you just launch it to a song, um, to know what is the time signature of the song. Has it got that 4-4 four, four feel, or is it a 6-8 feel? And um, as Neil said, there are many other time signatures, but I think especially in worship music, those are the two that we encounter the most. Okay, cool. So I, I just want to add one more question in there, which is, what is a bar? If we're speaking about time signatures, uh, if you can explain that, because that's another thing I see a lot is, um, you know, the worship leader will say, okay, guys, we're going to do two bars um, of the progression at the beginning of the song for the intro. Uh, and we want, what they actually mean is we're going to do two repeats of the whole chord progression, you know, mm. C, E yeah. minor, D in how great are you, Lord? Uh, so what, what is it? What is a bar actually in? Right. So um, a, it's very simple. I don't really have to explain anything more than I just did. Um, so a bar is just basically the, the unit of time um, between your strongest beats. So if you have, so if you're in 4-4, four, four, you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, three four a bar would just be one cycle of that so mm. one two three four one bar next bar one two three four or in the case of six at a time it would be one and uh, two and uh, for one bar mm. so um it can be sometimes confusing with certain songs where you could kind of feel the beat as um one two three four one two three four or you can feel it as one and two and three and four and it's the same tempo but you just think about it differently mm. so it's just important to establish what you're going to mean when you refer to a bar is it going to be one two three four or one and two and three and four and right great thanks neil cool so that was my scenario for um for time signatures and for for meter and, and rhythm and duration um, but I want to speak a little bit about pitch. Um, something, so as we as we speak about pitch, uh, I want us to get into kind of the concept of what a key is and so on. But before then, another scenario, what I see a lot is, is often bands in between songs. You know, if a song isn't in the same key, uh, if, uh, if a song is in the same key, if two songs are in the same key, it's easy to flow from one to the other, you know. They just seem yeah. to flow into yeah. one another. Um, but if we're speaking about um, different keys, how how do you prevent a band playing a song and then it ends like dead and then there's that awkward dead silence and then they start a song in another key? How do you create more flow between songs of different keys? Yes, that can really be tricky. Um, now, actually, musically, it is not difficult to do modulation. So modulation just refers to a key change. Um, 
say for instance, we're in D major. And now we need to go to um, C, uh, to, to G major, right? So the next song is going to start here. Okay, so we've been hanging around here for a while. Now normally you could easily make a, trans a very smooth musical transition by going <laughs> turning your, your your D chord into a dominant seventh and voila, you're in G major. <laughs> Which is what every worship band did in the 90s. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem. It sounds very 90s when you when you do that. Um, so, yeah, you I basically... Get a little, I get a little like twitch in my neck when I hear that. <laughs> yeah, we tend to avoid um, dominant sevens in, in modern worship music. Um, but... It's still fairly easy to go from D to G because they're a fourth apart from D. G is four steps up and that's quite a natural transition. So the first thing that helps is when the worship leader plans a set list and um, you know to plan a few songs in one key and a few of the remaining songs uh, in a key four steps up because that will give you a natural uh, mod musical sounding modulation. Uh, so maybe from D major to G major or E to A or um, B to E. Mm. All right. But um, it, it, say you're a keys player now and you're dealing with a pad, but you're keeping the pad in. Um, so the next song is coming up. It is not too bad to change the pad now to say B flat if the next song happens to be in B flat and just mm. slowly bring it in mm. yeah, so it's not a, a offensive sound but just really slowly blending it but um, if you're playing piano or some kind of keyboard uh, roads or so at that stage um, just gently going in, into the key um, trying to do it as, as flowingly as possible. Right, so just so try slim. to kind of calm down before <laughs> you start the next song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the... The solution is really mostly in the planning of the songs. Yep. If every song is going to be in a different key, it's really going to cause um, just an, a kind of an unpleasant feeling. Uh, I find it uh, with with bands that play with tracks a lot, where the the keyboard parts, the synth and pad parts, and so are played by by tracks um, from a computer. Um, so that's all set in stone. The song has a set beginning and a set end, mm. and so does the next song. Uh, and there's there's no way to to just flow into the next one. It's like, okay, guys, the next track is starting. Boom, <laughs> and it's just a new key, and it's yeah. it's not a very nice experience. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's the purpose of trying to find flow in between songs is you don't want to distract people from engaging in worship because I think, you know, people are in the in the moment, they're encountering God and then uh, suddenly there's this awkward silence and then it kind of just makes people notice, okay, the band is changing something now. So you're wanting to make those changes as seamless as possible so that people can just enjoy the encounter with God uh, yes. rather than being distracted by, yeah. by what the band is doing. Yes. Um, so we mentioned keys now, but let's go a little bit deeper into into that um, because I think it's it's something we take for granted. Everybody understands the basics of what a key is and so on. Um, and I'll maybe do it with another scenario. So uh, often uh, uh, if you ask, say, a vocalist, um, can you rather not sing that note or you rather sing this note? And then you ask them to sing the note and then they, they, <laughs> you, mm. they're just not able to sing it. I know um, exactly what you mean. <laughs> or rather, um, if you ask somebody, can you rather sing a harmony there? And then they end up just kind of after a while gravitating back to, back to the melody. Uh, so how do we as not only singers, but just as, as musicians, how do we become more aware of specific keys and specific notes? Uh, maybe even if you need to start at the beginning what is a key uh, and go from there? Right. So a key simply is a collection of pitches. Um, so, well, what is a pitch? On the piano here in front of me, I have all these black and white notes. And if I play them in succession from low to high, I can just continue like that and you don't really have a feeling of it's going anywhere because I played all the notes. Um, so what a key does, it, it chooses certain notes that sound good together. So now we have something like a very familiar sound. Let's start on, on this note, for instance. We're going to sing and um, sing it. Here we go. Mm. And now we go up. Okay, so there's the seven notes of the key. Simple, let's do it again. Now, some of you might be going. It's not finished. It doesn't sound right. <laughs> I was doing that. Yeah. So we can finish it and it will sound like this. Right. So let's, let's count. So the first seven were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Right. Okay. But now see. One and eight sounds awfully similar. They do really sound similar, but they're eight notes apart. Okay, so we call it an octave. Octave for eight. But because it sounds so similar, we just call the eight again one. So now we can go one, two, three, four, four, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and continue like that. So you you're don't seven go higher than that. <laughs> uh, I'd rather not. Right. <laughs> Uh, so th that's how it goes. It's just cycles from one to seven over and over and over. And that's how the key goes. You can do that for an entire piano, etc. 
Right, so that's basically how a key works. You get different kinds of keys. This in particular was a major key. You can also get a minor key, which is a different, uh, the notes are different intervals from each other and creates a different sound. Right. Um, you said that's but, a minor, minor key. What's yes. the difference between a minor scale and a minor key? Well, I played a minor scale now uh, in a minor key. Okay. Right. So the scale is just the way you play the notes stepwise. If you play stepwise, that's basically a scale. Okay. But a scale has to be in a key. Yes. So now important is that uh, different keys start on different notes. So this in particular was on C. But now we can... We can have the same scale basically, starting on a different note. One, two, three, five, five, six, seven, one. Or here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one. Which was B flat. And every time the distance between the different steps are the same, we just move it to a different set of notes, mm. a different set of pitches. Um, it's really difficult to explain just like this because it, it, it's better to explain it visually. Mm. Um, that makes much more sense. Learning to play a piano basically is probably the most helpful thing for understanding keys because mm. the fact that you have white and black notes um, kind of gives every key a certain shape, a certain relationship between white and black notes. I can kind of see the patterns in front of me. And it, that's just so logical for me. Mm. I find that uh, guitar players and singers who don't have the same kind of visual um, image of of music struggle more to to understand the concepts. Mm. Doesn't mean they can't play it because there's still the muscle memory and just feeling of chords and so on. But the understanding is not necessarily so easy. Okay, cool. So I think that gives a, a pretty good demonstration of just what a key is. Um, and if we come back to our scenario now, yes. somebody uh, who's, who really struggles to hear a note, how do we become more aware uh, of keys and specific notes and train our ears? Right. So I think it is very helpful to understand these things of how keys and pitches work and the relationships between notes. Um Say we're in C now again, and now we just take a simple tune, um, like Father Jakob Frerejaka, which goes. Right, it is. It it, it can be quite a an eye opener for someone to realize that what is actually going on there, pitch wise, that. These first three notes are steps up. One, two, three, and then a jump down to one. One, two, three, one, one, two, three, one, three, four, five, three, four, five. And just the awareness of, of these things, how certain notes move stepwise, and sometimes there are leaps and jumps. Sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down mm. um, can really help 
just to listen better. Mm. I've had a, a student once who, who sings really well. Um, and she came to me for lessons and I started kind of this way. She, uh, if I asked her to sing higher or lower, she had no understanding of what that means to sing higher or lower mm. or to go stepwise up like da-da-da or jumps like da-da-da. No concept. But within a few minutes of just basic exercises like this, she completely understood it. Mm. And now I can actually communicate with her um, to explain to you, uh, rather sing three, two, one there instead of three, four, three. Mm. Right? And she, she understands. She knows now she must go lower. Three, two, one instead of la, la, la without any concept of what she's doing. Yeah. So I, I come across this problem mostly with uh, backing vocals, singing harmonies. Mm. Um, the tendency usually is to sing harmonies just in complete parallel with the melody. Mm. Um, so we say the melody goes, like in Freya Jaka, the harmony might just very easily go, But in context, that might not be the best option in context of the music. Um, for instance, say you happen to have for some reason a, a, a five at the bottom. But um, now, now you're creating this dominant seventh there that, that we don't want. So you want the backing vocal to sing something differently. Now you have to explain it because you want them to sing. to stay on the same note, which is actually very simple, mm. right? Um, yeah, often the best harmonies are, are simple. Yeah, very often. Mm. A, a strong a strong harmony is often just singing the same note, mm. yeah. Um, so, yeah, just being aware of how these things work can, can help uh, with, with communication in a worship team, yeah. But it's, I mean, I, I must say, it's not easy to learn and you can be led astray by getting really deep into music theory. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really best to keep it as practical as possible. And I would say, just go and explore how these things work, but then listen, listen to music and try to find where the notes go. Like, just listen, is it going up? Is it going down? Is it going steps or is it going leaps? Mm -hmm. Those two things will just really light, spark a light bulb in your brain. Yes. So. I think it's about being intentional um, that, and hopefully with this conversation today, it's helping us all to realize that we, we need to be intentional. We need to invest time in this. It's not something that just comes uh, naturally, especially if, for people like, if you're out there like myself, you didn't have a formal music background. We need to think about these things. Um, one of the big um, kind of uh, lessons we always try to bring across is, is it's not, you know, we, we often emphasize the heart behind worship. And, of course, the heart is essential. Like, uh, we, it's, we can sing the prettiest songs, but if our hearts aren't in it, then, uh, in a sense, it's, it's not acceptable worship. Um, but it's about bringing both the heart and the skill. Um, and it's not one or the other, but it's, it's both. And I think if we want to bring, if we want to up our skill, uh, then we're going to need to be intentional. And we're going to need to put time in. And I think something like this is really practical for somebody. Uh, if you want to start, just 
listen to a song and and try to try to imagine those steps in your mind whatever key uh, the song is in uh, it doesn't change the fact that there's still steps uh, so you can with the melody figure out whether it's on a one or a two or a three um, song like that I think it's a it's a good way to start yeah and for me it is really important to um, get as many senses as possible involved like um, the problem with traditional music theory um, training is that it is really just theoretical it's just notes on a page mm. um, so people know might know all the rules of four-part harmony and write all the right chords but they actually don't know how it sounds mm. um, so that's not practically practically very useful um, but if you learn the concepts um, by involving your ears most importantly but also sight so like building visual concepts and and also touch to an extent uh, like on your instrument the mm. shapes on your instrument um, connecting those shapes or feelings with the different notes connecting that visually so mm. connecting the touch and the visual aspect and the or um, yes oral aspects <laughs> um, together that will create very strong established musical concepts yeah yeah so if you're looking for a teacher try to find someone who will teach you in different ways and the other important thing is that people also learn in different ways so some people are or are more um orally inclined others really thrive on visual images mm. um if, if you can draw something for them on a board they might understand it very quickly whereas just dealing with it orally they might never get the concept yeah yeah so find the best way that you learn and really focus on that that's great yeah i i must say um having a better concept of having a better grasp of these kinds of things um is so empowering in a worship team i, I always say to worship teams one of the best things you can do is invest in in just your your ear um to be able to for for instance, work out what's uh, what key a song is in without being told. Um, so if that means sitting with your instrument, listening to a song, don't look at uh, you know the chord chart to see what the original key is, but just try to figure it out uh, on your own with your instrument. And the same as uh, when you get in, when you're learning a new song, don't look at the chord chart. You know, try to figure out those um, those chords yourself. We had a bass player in our team who used to uh, when he was watching TV, he his favorite time was the ads in between because then he would grab his guitar oh. and with each advert he'd quick he'd yeah. see how quickly he can find uh, the key of the of the song that's playing um, and kind of play along with yes. it as well. Yeah, I don't think there's any better way to learn yeah. than to just try to play what you hear and it is very difficult in the beginning. Yes. That's what I think I started doing it when I was 10 or 11 because I listen to music. I love to listen to music, classical music at that stage. Um, and I would go sit at the piano and try to play the symphonies and things that I heard. Yeah. And it just, those are the things that really built the musical concepts in my mind that I still have until today. Yeah. And it's it's useful not just for the sake of having the skill, but it's useful in worship. Uh, when you really sense the Holy Spirit is wanting to go in a direction mm. and you're not limited by the fact that, oh, I don't know that song or I don't know uh, what chords are to play there. 
um, but you're you're able to just go there because you, you've you've put in the time off the stage to be able to just really go for it on the stage. Yes, absolutely. Um, I must also just give a word of encouragement. Um, if you don't have formal music education or um, you you don't really get get to hang with with music theory, and so you know it's it's not something to stress about. You don't. It's not the be or an end or of of being a great musician because there are so many many great musicians out there who had no formal music mm-hmm. training. There's uh, a lot of great film composers uh, writing music for all our epic films that we love so much who don't even read music, but wow. they make incredible music. So, uh, but they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Because they have spent the time into it, they have they have built the concepts in their own mind. So that's really the most important part is the musicianship. Right. Um, I'll maybe just end off by by mentioning or just dropping this out there. Um, as as we were speaking about keys now and just the basically the the seven steps within a key or eight if you include one the octave. Once you understand that then the Nashville number system um, is is a lot more easy to, to understand. And that's something I just want to encourage people um, who don't know what it is, go and find out about it. That's an amazing tool uh, to communicate within your team. It's basically where we substitute chords, um, where we substitute numbers for chords. So instead of saying, okay, we're in the key of, of G and we're going to play a C and a D, and instead of saying C and D, you'll say we're going to play a four and a five. Um, so it's basically w- what it really helps with is you no longer have to th- kind of th- communicate about specific um, chords where the whole t- for the whole that are applicable for the whole team because uh, often the guitarist will maybe have a capo on and then they're actually they're trying to figure out and transpose in their heads okay what mm. what chords are you actually speaking about um, but it's just where each um, chord uh, becomes a number. And then those numbers are applicable across all the keys. Yeah, because when you're when you're dealing with keys, you're dealing with a specific uh, collection of notes, like I said. But that same sound, that same relationship between the notes that you have in that particular key, you can just move, transpose to a different key. Mm. And it still sounds the same, it's just higher or lower. Yes. Um, Do you want to demonstrate that? Yeah, let's take... Great, are you Lord again? Um, here I'm playing it in G. Now I could take it five steps up to C. still recognizable as the same song the same mm. chords in in essence but it's in a different key it's higher up so now uh it, yeah like you said using the nashville system is so much easier because now instead of um saying okay we're playing c e minor d sus and now we have to transpose it to another key now to think oh okay gosh and that's now um uh, C, 
uh, uh, I don't know, you know. So, <laughs> but if you just learn to think in numbers, you know that um, in G, this first chord is going to be, uh, okay, it's four, six, five. Now you can apply that to any key, saying, okay, four, six, five. Or, uh, Right, so yet again in another key. Cool. Right, just thinking about the numbers makes it much simpler. Great. Maybe one last question. Um, are we speaking about the numbers? Explain what is the tonic or the roots? Because ah. that's that's a term that comes up a lot. in. in okay. Western. Well, the tonic and the roots are somewhat different things. Um, so we spoke about the... Uh, the steps in the in the key one two three four five six seven. Uh, so one refers to the tonic, cool. right? Okay. So that's one will be your one or the tonic will be your strongest note. That's the key, the the notes that the whole key revolves around. The whole yeah. song or melody will kind of revolve around that note. So that if you talk about the tonic, you know that's the the strongest. That's a central point. Mm. Uh, the root um, is similar in a way, but the root is like the the note on which a chord is built. So say our tonic is G, we're in the key of G. So that's our tonic. Um, but now we're playing chord six, which is E minor. Now the root is gonna be the sixth step, which is E. The root of the chords might not necessarily be at the bottom. It could be in the middle with a different note at the bottom. So the root, the note on which a chord is built. Cool. Hopefully yeah. that clears it up for some people. Yeah, well, um, I wish I could explain these things better. Like I say, it's it's not easy to just grasp these concepts uh, by quick explanation yeah. or just orally. Uh, it is really best understood uh, using uh, well thought out methods. Mm. But that's kind of what I was hoping for today, and, and we're going to end off there, um, is just to hopefully explain a few concepts. Um, specifically, back to the beginning, you mentioned music consists of duration and pitch. Uh, and then you can go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper um, into into those topics. Um, but I think that's important for, for people to do on their own time, You know, whether it's checking out online resources or finding a music teacher in your area or just somebody in the band who's passionate about these things. Ask them mm. to explain it to you. Yeah. Um, ask them to demonstrate. Uh, you know. Yeah. Okay. Demonstration is really key. Yeah. If if you don't play the keyboard, ask a keyboardist in your team. Show me the different steps. Uh, play them in different keys, and just to begin to to get an, a, a grasp of it. Um, it's just gonna help you to be more confident. What I find as a confident musician um, is is that they're not um, held back uh, as much as you know as as somebody who's unsure of the notes and so on and then then we doubt ourselves we doubt you know uh, whether can i sing this or you know you, you're actually you're not able to engage you're not able to be present in worship because your head is just uh trying to figure things out yeah um where you fit in uh whereas if you understand these concept concepts better you can be so much more present to what god is doing in worship yes and uh, and um definitely communication in the worship team i mean yes. I, I think that uh, music theory is really um, all about communication. It's a way of communicating. If we if it's we like all have this, if we all have the same 
musical concepts established, we all use the same theory, the same words, then it's easy to communicate yeah. what we want. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Neil. Well, thank you, James, for having me. Yeah, it's been great to chat, and I hope this was encouraging for you. Uh, we just covered some of the concepts. We will hopefully do more in future. I definitely want to do follow-up ep follow episodes to this. Um, but for now, that's it. Thanks so much for joining. Ciao. Bye. Thank you for joining the Spirit Truth Podcast. Check out chauffeurband.com for music and resources. You can also subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Oh, 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 o